This is Healing Justice, a podcast bridging conversations at the intersection of collective healing and social change. I'm your host, Kate Werning, and I'm so excited to be uh, ushering you into community with the folks who are going to offer this powerful practice today. We have been building out this series called Generation Transformation that is all about transformative youth organizing in partnership with the Next Gen Fund and with Movement Strategy Center. And you'll hear the voice of Taj James, who uh, has welcomed each of our guests speaking about powerful transformative practices in intergenerational and multiracial organizing throughout this series. And you're also about to be freaking blessed by three incredible leaders from Freedom Inc., which is an organization working to end violence and to bring gender and racial justice in Madison, Wisconsin. You'll hear Kajua Va, Zhong Mua, and Bianca Gomez. And they're sharing with you practices that they use in Freedom Inc. to, as they say, protect each other from each other as people learn. They're gonna be sharing really concrete tips for ways that they really enact structures to support people in their self-determined healing and in being accountable and maintaining safety and uh, setting up systems to combat oppression in their organization. And they are not kidding around with these experiences. These experiences and lessons come from 15 plus years that many of them have been working together, that they've been developing leadership at Freedom Inc. Um, And so this is some really rich wisdom that many of us can take a lot of notes from. So something that is kind of fun about this practice is that you don't need any special conditions to listen to it. You're welcome to get out paper to take notes if you'd like to, but you can also listen to this on the go. You can listen to it a bunch of times. I know that's what I'm going to do to really take all of this in. Um, And this is a practice that's really about reflection on what are the different things that you can do in your organization to set up structures that support folks healing and political and leadership development while holding a strong and firm commitment to safety for the people who are most vulnerable in the community and to anti-oppression in the work. So excited to hand it over to the crew and enjoy Generation Transformation. Welcome to the next installment of the Generation Transformation podcast series on the Healing Justice Podcast, brought to you by the Next Gen Fund. Today, you're going to get a chance to hear from some of the amazing leaders at Freedom Inc. from Madison, Wisconsin, who are gonna talk about the powerful and transformational work they are doing, being led by young Southeast Asian and African-American girls and women in that community What do you do to protect yourself from yourself until you get it right? There are some things that we've been practicing at Freedom Inc., primarily around our anti-Blackness as Southeast Asian folks. Like, what do we need to put in place? Because we love our family members, but because we know that we're not Black and every day we have to wake up and try to figure things out and that we may not 
get it right and we can cause harm. And so these are some things that we've put into place and we wanted to share with the rest of the organizing world. Joan, you want to go first? Yes. So something that we knew, right, from our organizing work with Black and Hmong girls was that there were differences, right? Uh, even though we were all experiencing oppression from the same systems, it showed up and looked very different. So we needed different groups, right? And the leadership development needed to look a little different. Along with that, what we also found out uh, while we were developing young people and uh, supervising young people who were like interning with us or doing work with us was that me as like the director of youth organizing as a Hmong person, even though I am actively talking about anti-blackness and trying to confront it, I can slip up sometimes, right? So then how do I protect the young black workers, uh, youth from me making these mistakes as I'm learning along the way? And what we knew was that we needed our Black directors to supervise the Black youth leaders and workers, right? And it wasn't about whether I was a good person or a bad person, but really around figuring out how do we cause the least amount of harm. And also on top of that, how do, as we're really talking about working with those most impacted, as we're really doing organizing work and talking about shifting power, how do we also create power in our organizations also. So what that meant and looked like was that in each of our programs, right, the supervisors, the directors, the folks who are managing it, how are we actually shifting power to the ones that we know need it in, in our organizing work? So what that meant and looked like was that for our youth work, we needed a black director also. Like I couldn't be the only one, um, especially uh, among women, who was overseeing all the youth programming and was responsible for developing the Southeast Asian and Black youth leaders, like we actually needed to have Bianca be one of the directors who can really shift power and resources to the Black youth, to the queer Black trans uh, youth leaders, and really figuring out how that programming and how we as an organization, as we're fighting these outside systems, we're actually creating true power in our organization also. Another thing that we've done at the organization is we've looked at some of our policies. So for example, we looked at our pay uh, policy and there's typically the way that we do it is by seniority or by what people bring to the organization, how long they've been with us and some of their skill sets. And when we looked at that, we knew that we were not paying correctly. And so we had to institutionalize some stuff within our pay policy that says emotional labor, social labor, and political labor is really important. And because, you know, sometimes those labors could be looked at as this is just part of someone's job. But what we learned is that some of our Black staffs had more political analysis and more development around that, and that they were continuously like training everybody else, but that we weren't seeing that as part of their labor, even though they were pretty new to the organization. And so how do you then institutionalize that so that people are getting paid for the work that they're bringing, not just in hours, but with social and political labor that they're bringing to the table. Another thing that we did 
was that no decisions around implementing new programs that wasn't specific to women and girls and queer folks. So if we were going to work with outside entities and we're going to work with men or boys, that we've made a commitment that the Southeast Asian programs would not make those decisions without the Black folks and leadership at Freedom Inc., The other piece that I I saw earlier on, and these are the things that uh, when you're looking at policies, like it may not look like anything, but the distribution of funding. And we already know that funders are less likely to fund girl, I mean, uh, black specific organizing projects and queer black movement. And so when we looked at our budget, we saw that the majority of our funding around organizing or civic engagement funding was going to uh, Southeast Asians and that we didn't have a lot going towards black organizing and that it was going to be hard to find that type of money anyway. So how do you then talk to funders and how do you distribute funding within your organization so it matches up with the work? And so that's something that I specifically looked at the budget and said, every dollar that comes in for black organizing and black women goes to black women and black organizing. Whereas if we had some funding that was coming in specific to Southeast Asian, that those funding can be split into like admin positions into like positions that were easier to fund through API funds. And so these are some very specific things that organizations can put into play to like what we say is to protect yourselves from yourselves until you get it right. The other piece that we've made a commitment to is we have learned that if you're a cis straight man, you have to wake up every day and dismantle patriarchy. And so as Southeast Asians, we've made a commitment um, to meet every week as a Southeast Asian um, uh, team, uh, staff, and uh, leadership to, to really talk about how we're actively dismantling anti-Blackness. And so we will do our political education on our own. We've been reading, um, we've been sharing articles, we've been sharing things that we can like talk about. But really, it's it's about like shifting not just our thoughts, but like if there are policies that we need to change, we do it without harming and without like re-triggering the Black folks within the organization. So that piece we do every week. And we just, if we've caused harm, you apologize, you stop the harm. Um, And in addition to that, we come every day knowing that because we're not black, we have to work on our anti-blackness. And then the last thing is like, it's not enough for our organization just to work on not being, uh, to dismantle the anti-blackness, but how are we implementing policies and how are we working towards being more pro-black? And that I think is different than just really looking at um, our anti-blackness. And so these are some things that we've put into place. So I wanted to add around like some of the things that institutionally we put in place. One of the things is that we are asking our young people to do a lot, right? And we're asking them to like take this work very serious. So we pay them, right? We don't have funds and the capacity to pay all of our young people and all of our programming, but we do pay our youth leaders who are right now organizing it around a lot of things, but particularly organizing around police violence in school because they could be 
right at McDonald's. They could be at all those other places. And a lot of them still hold, you know, jobs in other places too, but we pay them to do leadership development. And some of that is they get a like monthly stipend. Some of that is investing in their leadership by paying for them to go to conferences, paying for them to go out of town, paying for them to meet other youth organizers. But a lot of that is like, making sure that they have a little something to take care of themselves and support themselves. And I would encourage other organizations to raise funds for specifically youth leadership development, but not only in the way that you think the funds that should be used, right? Because Freedom Inc. doesn't get to tell me how to spend my paycheck, right? Like I spend that on the things that I need to live and we try to give our youth money to pay for the things that they need to live, right? So some folks use their stipend to contribute to their household. Some folks use their stipend to like for personal things that they need just for them. And I think that's really important. Again, if we're telling everybody else to invest in youth, how are we investing in in youth and our young people? And, you know, to funders, (laughs) we would like a lot more money to like increase our youth's capacity and increase their pay. Can I add to that? Yes. Yeah, and I think even around like the stipend and the the funding to travel for conferences and trainings, one thing that we emphasize in, and I know we talked a lot about this earlier, that we also provide like resources for folks to be in therapy, right? So we like actually allocated money to be in partnership with Sankofa, who does like therapy. And we refer our young people there. We refer all our people there, actually, as part of like their leadership development and transformation, right? So it's not just enough for us. It's more than just like you come in and you receive political education, leadership development, but an emphasis on also like the healing pieces and saying like, if we believe in therapy, like how are we actually providing that um, access to our people? Because we know that navigating the healthcare system is very complicated and can be very traumatic. So another thing that we've done in the course of protecting ourselves from ourselves until we get it right is we don't assume that everybody uses traditional medicine. And so for a long time, we've set aside funding and unrestricted funds specifically for queer and transgender and gender nonconforming folks who may need other alternative medicine and alternative healing practices. And so that's been also one of our policies. The other piece is that traditional therapy is something that we push, but we also acknowledge and set aside uh, for each of our staff about $1,000 a year where they get to decide what healing practices they want to use. And because we have folks who follow shamanism, who are Buddhists and who are religious in other ways and and go to church, like they get to decide what that healing practice looks like for them. So these are all things that we've implemented into our system and into our foundation so that people have a way of like healing and doing things that make sense to them. Yeah, what are some of the processes that we go through to implement any of these things? A long time ago, when we were starting to do queer justice work 
And we were starting to say like, hey, young queer Southeast Asian and black folks, this is an organization that you can come to for services. And so what we quickly realized was if you're asking people to come to a queer specific organizing or function or organization, that that potentially can be outing somebody that isn't necessarily ready to be outed. And especially if they're young. Uh, what that meant was that they could lose housing, they could lose support. And so one of the things that I thought about was, how do you create a circle of protection around somebody who may or may not be ready to come out so that they can get ready to to live their best and their their real life in the way that they want? And so this is where this concept of this outer circle, like we will protect you at all costs until you figure out what it is that is what you want. And so really like protecting young people and and creating resources around this young person so that they can access our services and our spaces and knowing that they may have certain needs and there might be people within the community that will cause harm to them. And so how do you create this outer circle where nothing gets through? Like you can't harm this person as long as this person is within our reach, right? And I can tell you that the way that we practice and try to implement these policies, the reasons why like this this also recently has surfaced is, I mean, just like everybody else, you think you're a good person, but because you're not from that group, like you just don't know. And so because the Southeast Asian folks are like, we love our black family and Freedom Inc., we're trying to do our best, but we keep making mistakes that are harmful, that are anti-black. And so we keep making these mistakes. And that's where we said we need to have an intentional conversation about why we keep doing this. But while we're doing that, let's put in some things within the system or within the foundation of Freedom Inc. so that even we can't bypass that. And so these are the intentional conversations, the hard conversations, but it's not enough to like cause harm and then stop the harm and apologize. You actually have to implement some stuff to stop yourself. And so uh, the questions to ask if organizations are really looking at something like this is like, of course, stop the harm, apologize, of course, and acknowledge it and then put in place some stuff. And some of the, what are some questions that we've thought about? Like, I think for the anti-blackness pieces, we're like, it doesn't matter what our intentions were. The fact that we caused harm is enough for us to change. I think one of the things that we really talked about was having conversations are not enough. And when it comes to accountability, like I think that people should do work on their own, right? I think the Southeast Asian folks should come together and talk about anti-Blackness, what it looks like, how it's showing up, what harm they're doing. But when it comes to accountability, like people have to tell you what they need to repair, right? It's like you have to take your own accountability. You have to do some internal work and work with your own people. But the people or the person that you harmed also gets to say what repair looks like for them. If we don't do this, who else will, right? Mm -hmm. Like who else is going to do the work if we don't do it? Yeah. It really goes back to like your values, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, If you truly truly believe in the liberation of all people, Black people, Southeast Asian people, if you truly believe in gender justice and queer justice, you have to do the hard work. 
I know Kajal said this a while back. It's like, it's not sexy and you're definitely not going to be cool, but you have to do it, right? Mm-hmm. I think of like the spectrum of violence and who's closest to life and who's closest to death. And when I'm doing this work as a queer Hmong person alongside like Black folks, right? I really think about this spectrum and understanding that, yes, I experienced violence. And also, where is it that I may be in some way accessing some type of power? And how do then I distribute that little bit of power so that all of us can really do this fight? So I do think around like some of the implementation I think the two easiest things to think about is, and I know Gajo already talked about, is funding, right? So again, like, how are you going to redistribute whatever wealth, whatever funding that we may have? And I know it's very, very little. But if, again, if you really believe in the liberation of those most oppressed, you need to figure it out. Because if we don't figure it out internally here, like, the world out there ain't going to do nothing, (laughs) Right? I'm just saying. So we need to figure it out here first. And then the second thing is around like power. Again, how are we going to really shift power within our organizations and our communities? Right? So that as we're learning, people who are like continuously hurt and harmed and triggered because, again, we're trying to learn, how are we going to make sure that we can really protect them from us? Right? And that is around like the shift of power. I look at Emin Kajo, right, and around how we have two co-executive directors, one who's like Southeast Asian, one who is Black. Because the thing is that no matter how much me as a Southeast Asian Hmong woman, no matter how much I love these uh, Black youth, I will some in some way harm them. So I need that that balance, that check. And that's where Bianca really comes in as the other youth director to really like check me and also check to make sure and be like that barrier so that I don't harm any of the young Black youth leaders and that I can be part of their leadership development, but I will not directly supervise them. So yeah, I think it's really the funding and the shifting of power. So the hopeful thing about this is you may not get it right all the time, but the commitment to wake up and try again. And so I've said this uh, and to my co-director that sometimes I will harm you, but I promise you that if we have direct communication that tomorrow I'm going to do what I can to change that. Because if you truly believe that your liberation is bound to each other, then I think that it's not such a big risk. The other piece that I think is really important is I think as Asian people or Southeast Asian people or people who are not Black, it is about like seeing your humanity in each other and that we don't have to lose ourselves to like be in solidarity. And I feel like that's what keeps this hopeful is that I actually don't lose myself, my community, the importance of who I am as a Hmong person because I love like M or because I love Bianca or because I'm here for your community too. And so I find that like for me, that's hopeful that you don't have to lose yourself in this work. That's all we have to say. An enormous thank you for the powerful wisdom offered by Kajwa, Zhong, and Bianca, along with Taj. 
Wow, y'all. If you want to learn more about Freedom Inc., you can go to freedom-inc.org, doing incredible work in Madison, Wisconsin. And to stay in touch with us here at the podcast, please join our email list. You can find us at healingjustice.org. We are changing our name in December 2019, and so we want to make sure that you can find us and find this whole incredible library of conversations and practices from organizing communities across the country. We have over 110 episodes now. This is uh, a place to hear so much good, good wisdom, and we don't want you to lose us when we change our name. So please join our email list at healingjustice.org so you can stay in touch and check out the entire catalog of this series on transformative youth organizing called Generation Transformation by going to healingjustice.org generation. If you somehow missed the episode last week with this crew from Freedom Inc. talking about uh, building a generative organization, I highly recommend that you go to the episode before this one and listen in on that conversation. It is really, really powerful and brings a lot of context to some of the wisdom just offered in this practice. If you want to join us in supporting and sustaining this project and also joining our digital discussion community, our book club, to be able to access a map to find other listeners and practitioners near you, you can join us at patreon.com slash healingjustice. A big thank you to our producer, Jale Akavan, for editing this episode and to Zach Meyer at The Coal Room for sound mastering. Thank you to Kajwa, Jong, and Bianca for your incredible wisdom, to the team at the Next Gen Fund for your belief in and material support and emotional support toward uh, folks who are leading and doing transformative youth organizing. And thank you to all of you for your commitment to spending time really deeply reflecting on your organizational structures and how they are uh, firmly supporting um, your journey toward dismantling all systems of oppression and violence. We'll hear you next week.